Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Last week, um, I'm going to I'm in a slightly different position than I normally in because my computer I forgot was not charged and where from where I normally sit in my office there's no um, outlet so I'm sitting. Uh, on the couch in my office, so I'm going to be looking. I have no table in front of me. I'm going to be looking to the side to my book. Um, we read Chapter 4 of the Book of Shemot, Verse 2, um, and we just translated it once. We didn't really linger on it so much, and we have not done the Rashi's yet. So I think that's where we are. So um, let's jump right into it. Um, let's see. Elon, do you want to read uh, Chapter 4, Verse 2? Ayomar Elav Adonai. What's, where's the vowel there? Maze beyadecha veyomer mata, mate. Okay. And uh, the uh, Rashi as well? Uh, just first translate. Um, and uh, God said, uh, and he said to him, and God, and God said to him, what is in your hand? Um, and he said, a staff. Good. Right. So pretty simple vocabulary, pretty simple syntax. And we have the very common biblical idea of the subject following the verb. So Vayomer Elav Adonai, he said to him, God, meaning God said to him, Ma Zeh, couldn't be you know, more simple Hebrew words. Ma what Zeh this, Viyadcha, in your hand. If, you, if you're interested in this stuff, it's Ma Zeh Viyadcha, uh, not Biyadcha, because Bet is a Beged Kefet letter, and the previous letter word ends in a hey, which is part of the Ahoy acronym, and the two trups are together in a conjunctive trup, so therefore it is the dot in the in the Bet comes out, just to point it out, Vayomer Mate, and he said a staff. And to remind us that the previous verse, after which had come right after God's long soliloquy with quotation marks within quotation marks and quotation marks about what's going to happen when Moshe goes back to Egypt, Moshe would say, but wait a second, what if they don't believe me? And what if they don't listen to my voice? And what if they say, in fact, God did not appear to you? Okay, so this is God's response to Moshe's incredulity that this is going to work out. So um, before we look at Rashi, anything pop out for you in the verse in terms of meaning, in terms of sentence structure, in terms of what it looks like? Anything? Uh, yes, Elon. I don't know if there's any significance in the fact that maze is one word, or is that just doesn't mean anything? Right. So Baruch Shekivanta would say you're, you're attentive to the very thing that Rashi is about to be attentive to, because um, this this is kind of a a creative. Um, where the way it looks in the Torah is not necessarily the, well, it's actually pronounced the same way, but it's, there are two different versions of the word. There's a version of the word that is just um, um, mem zayin hey, and there's a version of the word that is mem hey dash zayin hey. It's pronounced traditionally ma zeh, but it looks like mi zeh, right? So mem zayin hey, unpointed, looks like the word mi zeh, which doesn't mean what is this, but something like, from this, mem with the contraction of mean. So let's let's leave that as a question, and Rosh is going to give his own answer to it. And it's one of these oddities, right? Every, I don't know, 50 or 100, maybe it's less frequent than that, 200 biblical verses, much more common in Tanakh than in Chumash, much more common in Nach than in Chumash. You have a slight variation, sometimes just one letter um, that has come through the manuscripts in terms of how the word should look. Sometimes it looks like a different pronunciation, and that's a creek tip, how it's read and how it's written. Anyone else, either a question on, on the verse, reaction to the verse, or an answer, uh, a, a potential answer to the maza mize? Uh, Joel and then Joanna? Well, what's, what's the purpose of asking? I mean, that's obviously God knows what it is. Why doesn't he just say, take that thing in your hand? What does he need? What does he need to do this back and forth for? Is he trying to prove a point? Good. Right. So I'll say again, Barosh Kibanta. So now the first two questions on the verse are anticipating the, the, the two comments that Rashi has on the verse. It's less, it's less freighted, but it reminds me of God's question in Breshit, Ayeka, where are you? Right. Well, God knows where Adam is. So there must be a reason why God is asking the question. So God doesn't want confirmation here, right? 
that that what's what he's holding is is a mater. There's something in in the engagement that is that it, that is important to the setup of of this scene. Uh, anyone want to respond to that? So kind of what, what what that is doing? What it, you know? Does God really ask rhetorical questions? While you're pondering that, before I call on Renee, um, just look at the unculus here because there might be a familiar word to you, even if you don't know Aramaic that well. So. Uh, the uncle is, God said to him, what is this? In your hand. And he said, Chutra. Anyone know what a Chutra is? Where do you know the word Chutra from? From pass, uh, Passover. Yes, that's what that's what uh, hit the cat. The, uh, the, yes. Um, the Hika. Yes. The Hika Lishunra. So chutra is there make for a stick or a staff, um, and sometimes it's it's fun to see words that you know from one context appear as just a regular word that Uncleus would use. Okay, um, Rick, you're unmuted. So while you're unmuted, go ahead, and we'll go back to your name and then to Tova. Yeah, on on the Zeh, um Larry and I um, we're doing the half tours that I've been noticing that the word Zeh gets lots of trope, and uh, even though it's an insignificant word. Um, Moses was just a Zeh in the basket and, uh, Noah was just a Zeh. Um, so pulling away from it, it's, it's not just about talking about the stick. It's, uh, what's inside of you that's insignificant that you can bring out. I don't know. Something like that. Good. So making as anything but a, a small word. Renee? Well, I was going to say the same thing as Joel, like, why would God be asking that? But in answer to your question, um, why he's calling attention to it, if he knows that it's there, maybe he's trying to call Moshe's attention to the fact that he has something in his hand that's significant. It's not stum, just a, a, a rod. Right, right. It's a, And this is, again, predicting Rashi. You see that thing in your hand? Yeah. Well, let me tell you what it's going to do, right? It, yeah, it's, it's special. Right, it's, and it's a way of kind of setting up um, a like like a, a punchline or a mic drop or or amplifying right. You see that farshtunkana rod. Let me tell you what you're going to do with that farshtunkana rod. Right, um, and it begins with a rhetorical question, or it's a half rhetorical question because the the question is almost not what is it, but you see that thing you're holding on to, and then the person has to respond, yes, I do. Ah, well now that we're focusing on the same little thing, I'm going to tell you something about it. Very similar to how Rosh is going to answer it. Good. Tova? Uh, following up on the same idea in a slightly different way, uh, it may also be to remind him of what that rod signifies. I mean, that it becomes a metaphor, right, throughout our history. I mean, God's referred to as, as holding a rod, right? So it's not just the rod and something remarkable is going to happen with it, but you are a shepherd, and in a larger sense, you're going to be a shepherd to your people, and that rod is going to represent your, the role you're going to play with them. So here's the first thing we're going to do with it, but also just a reminder of this bigger amplified role he's going to have that he's already playing on a small scale. Wonderful, right? I I want you I want you to turn your attention, Moshe, to the to the the simple tool you've been using as a shepherd, right. that simple tool is going to now be transformed into, in, into my hand. See that thing in your hand? That thing in your hand is basically going to be the way in which you show the hand of God. Wonderful. Okay, um, good. Anyone else before we have Elon read the Rashi? So again, we've, we've anticipated two of Rashi's questions. Let's, um, let's see how Rashi handles it. Go ahead, Elon. Okay. Uh, what is this in your hand? Um, uh, for what reason, or for the following reason, uh, it is written as one phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to interpret, what's this? From this that is in your hand, you are obliged to hit. Yeah, it's interesting that the syntax here is strange. You're right that it looks like it means you are obligated to to smite, to hit, but it actually means 
you are obligated to be hit. It's kind of adopting halachic language that when someone is was obligated for lashes, they are chayav malkut, they are chayav lokot, they're obligated, and even though it's an active verb, for the punishment that someone lashed them. So the the inference here is you see that thing in your hand, right? Rather than as mazeh, what is this? From the fact that the word looks like mizeh, because there's no hay in some version of it, from that which is in your hand, ata chayav lilkot. You are going to be Moshe, the one who I'm setting up in this role. You're going to become um, um, obligated to lashes, to a penalty. Why? Um, don't know. So chet shet chet shin means to suspect. Shachadta, like chafetz chashud, if you ever been on a bus in Israel and they had to evacuate it because there was a suspicious object, object is a chafetz object, chashud, suspicious object. Shechashadta, you, Moshe, suspected or um, cast aspersions on ksherim, kosher ones, holy ones. It's very terse language. Anyone have a sense of what, what, what Rashi is saying here? What, what did Moshe do wrong? And how is that built into the words that you suspected kosher ones? What does that mean? Anyone? People that were innocent of doing uh, badly. Right. Doing something who? Wrong. who? Those, those Jews that were innocent of doing anything wrong. The children of Israel that, uh, to say that they would doubt him. Ah, okay. So uh, the, the, the Midrash, and I'm gonna, we're going to read the full Midrash in a second because it's fascinating, is basically saying, Moshe. I just finished telling you that you're about to be the hand of God to go into Egypt and free the Israelites. Your first reaction is not, thank you for the task. Your first reaction is not, yes, whatever you say, God. Your first reaction is, they are non-believers. They're, they're not almost, they're not worthy and they're not capable. They're not worthy because they don't believe in me through you or they don't believe in you through me. And they're not capable to accept my leadership because I'm going to go and they're going to say, who are you? That's your first reaction, God, uh, Moshe? The first thing you do is to suspect and cast aspersions on the ones that I, God, have determined to free. You see that in your hand from that very staff, which is going to be the object of your leadership. You're also going to have, you're going to be, you, you now deserve to be smacked by yourself, right? It's all kind of built into those few words. Um, Rebecca, your hand was up, Rebecca Menes, but it went down. Do you want to? No, that's what I wanted to say. Okay, good. Uh, Barry and then Elon? It's kind of not fair. Uh, all Moshe said so far was, Up until now, it's God's voice has been saying everything's going to happen. Uh, uh, why are they going to hear, listen to Moshe's voice? That, that's all he said. Wait, so, so what are you saying is not fair? Why is God saying, coming down on Moshe and receiving lashes because Moshe is not believing God? Uh, it, it's not that necessarily that Moshe is not believing God, but Moshe doesn't think that people can listen to his own his own voice. Uh-huh. So God, God hasn't told him. God hasn't told Moshe that they can listen to his voice. Right. So the midrash, and it's a midrash, converts Moshe's lack of confidence in himself in the previous verse to his lack of confidence in their having faith. Right. You're right. The shot of the previous verse is Moshe saying to God, "All right." I, I'm with you, but I, but, but, but I don't know that I have the, 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 the influence that you think I have. I doubt myself. The Midrash reads Moshe not as doubting himself or not only doubting himself, but doubting them. And it's God's re- Midrashic response to say, how dare you doubt the ones that I have told you are worthy of redemption? Yeah. Elon, and then we'll look at, and then I'm going to look at the Midrash from which Rashi takes this or that he, he may take it. Yeah, this is uh, this is a recurring, disturbing theme for me, which once again is God is mafia don, right? Which is, you know, I, I should have your kneecaps broken for uh, for questioning me, um, and and Rashi doesn't seem to be phased by that. I, I would much rather have a God who uh, rationalizes with me as opposed to, to to threaten to whack me with a stick. It and it doesn't seem to bother Rashi at all. Right. Now it does not bother Rashi. Rashi is amplifying it. You don't have to read the verse this way. The verse could have just been not mafia done, God, but just 
you know, um, you know, a, a talker negotiator who's kind of setting thing up that this is it's it's a choice. This midrashic twist. Now the the choice is is um, is pushed by the rabbinic sensitivity to words and and having to have some answer, right? Like they they're not going to be satisfied unless there's some answer, even if it's an answer that changes a theological tenet to why it looks like Maza and Misa simultaneously. So that's 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 what's um, the bee in their bonnet. And you're right, the, the, what it comes up with is a pretty um, a God who is releasing the Israelites from a harsh master is serving as a pretty harsh master to Moshe in this moment, right? You said one sentence wrong. I'm going to interpret the sentence as ungenerously as possible. And now you're obligated for lashes. Yeah. Um, and, and that aspect of God is in the Midrash and that, and alongside the compassionate, you know, aspect of God. Elohim and Adonai. Tova. Um, just to uh, amplify on the notion that what Moshe is really uh, talking about is his own lack of uh, confidence in himself. It pays to look back at what his last experience of interactions with the Jewish people were, which were was killing a man to protect one of his uh, one of the Hebrews, uh, but then finding that he's being charged with that crime by other Jews. And that panics him so much because now it's known that he flees Egypt. So that's been his interaction with them, which certainly would make sense that he would doubt that he can now go back and convince these people. Uh, so that's really great. Yeah. That, that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful color to add this to the scene, not to mention what the rod has meant in Moshe's life already. Right. right. right? Yeah. Um, good. Uh, thank you for bringing us back to that scene. Larry, Diane, and then we'll uh, we'll look at the Midrash. Okay, thank you. Um, first, a, me- uh, a meta comment. Um, I've done this before. I often go back and read the entire passage or what I think is the entire passage because I think we ought- sometimes we get lost in the weeds and we drill down so far we forget what- what's, come- what's come before us. And I'm kind of wondering, for me, I thought that all of chapter 3 and up till verse 18 of this chapter was one long scene. And indeed it is, if you look at it as being one long scene. But I'm becoming more and more convinced in the fact, maybe it's two different accounts that were put together. Because what's happened up to now is Moses sees the burning bush, he talks to God, and he asks him, well, what if they don't believe me already? He's already said that. God said, well, you you know, what, what shall I tell me your name is? Remember that whole, that whole discussion. And God finished it. And he explained to him, you're going to take the elders and you're going to go to Pharaoh. And the story ends with, with their getting the, getting the gifts. And now Moses is coming back again to what if they don't believe me? Mm. So either we have to think that he's a real nudnik going back and asking one more time. Or you have to think that, in fact, this is a different version of the story, mm. a different story pieced together. And in this case, it's quite different because in this case, and if you read ahead, you don't read ahead, but I read ahead. Moses only asks once, but God already knows he's not going to believe him. So he tells him three different stories, three different reasons why this is going to happen. Moses doesn't even have to intervene. Moses speaks only in verses one, in verse one. That's it. Then he's silent up until uh, he asks, he tells he a diff, different complaint about I can't speak. So this whole story about I'm going to show you the powers through magic, <coughs> which, by the way, is exactly what Pharaoh said is big deal. I guys can do magic, too. I don't know why Moses should be convinced of this. I don't know why the people should be convinced of this if there are magicians. But my point or question is. Has anyone speculated this is an entirely different account of the meeting between Moses and, and God? So you're wondering if the fourth chapter of Shemot is like the 39th chapter of Rashid with the Ishmaelites and the Midianites and, 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 a, and an obvious sewing together, right? I mean, right. You know, just be careful. Just, just you know, look up to the heavens when you make that kind of a comment, Larry, just to make sure <laughs> you're not about to be smitten. Um, the truth is, I don't know. I, 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 um, I don't have specific knowledge of documentary hypothesis theories on this chapter uh, or this or this scene. 
Um, and I don't remember, you know, w- whether this, this scene is assigned J, E, P, or D um, by most scholars. But it's certainly plausible um, because there are certain um, scenes in the text which are e- more easily understood than the midrashic smushing them together and having them respond to one another easier, more easily understood as either different version of the same story or, 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 or scenes that originally took place far apart that got juxtaposed. Right. Um, so I don't have an answer, but I think it's a sensitive and astute question. And if so, and um, if, if someone wants to do some uh, research into that, I'd love to, I'd love to see what you come up with. Um, okay. Barry last comment. And then let's look at the midrash. Yeah, there's uh, something that's been bothering me that, uh, since last week on this. Is this something like the uh, the psychology of uh, Jewish prophets, um, uh, Yaakov and the latter, and all the prophets after, um, b- before becoming the leader, taking on the leader role, uh, being humble and taking on the leader role. There's a lot of self doubt that that is is in our nature, and 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 God has to provide support systems and and that's where Moshe is I don't think this is doubting God it's 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 in our it's in our nature yes I I I, I, um, I think that your your response to, to the text is pretty close to Pshat right that um there's no reason we'll see how the Midrash reads it but there's no aside from trying to solve the Maza Misa conundrum there's nothing in the previous verse that suggests that Moshe is doubting the Holy One, um, doubting, uh, doubting himself mostly. Um, and you know, I guess you could read Vehem lo yamino li, focus on the Haim and not the Li, that they, they, you know, I'm believable, but they're not going to be the ones who believe me. But the fact that he's doubting God, it's, you, you have to search for it. But let's see how the Midrash handles it. So hold on one second. Okay, so... You have here in Zafaria, you have our verse over here. This is the Rashi. Oops. This is the Rashi. And um, we already read that, right? The reason why the words mazer written here as one word is to afford the opportunity to, to explain it thus. On account of this, mize, from this, that is in thine hand, thou wilt make thyself liable, right? Even though it says a tachayav lokot, it means you are going to be the one who is liable to punishment because thus thou hast harbored suspicion upon worthy persons, right? I love how, how hyperlinked Safari is. It tells you that Rashi drew that from um, Shemot Rabbah, chapter three, verse 12. You click on it, it's right here. Okay, so this will be, we don't do this that often. Sometimes Marshall Kramer brings us the longer Midrashim from which Rashi draws. It does show you how amazing an editor Rashi was, that Rashi takes, you know, Midrash is usually a lengthy affair and layered, and how Rashi takes that and, synopsizes that into a very, very short section. Let's read it together. That's the previous verse. Moshe said, responded, but what if they don't believe me? Or maybe we remember we discussed it. It could be a what if, or it's a, uh, a, a certainty. They, they will not believe me. Now the Midrash is speaking in that very moment. Moshe spoke inappropriately. Why? Hakadosh Baruch Hu Amarlo, the Holy One said to him, "Bishamula Kolecha." Right? Um, God has already answered Moshe's question before he asked it. God said, "They will listen to you." And this go and, and just um, pe- uh, have your ears peaked a little bit, uh, Barry. This is the Midrash saying, "The sentence they will not believe me is not in of itself an affront to God, but the sentence they will not believe me after God just said they will." Ah. Now we might be seeing a little bit of lack of faith in God or God's people. The Huamar, and Moshe responds is right after that, So God says, they're going to listen to your voice. Moshe says, no, they won't. Well, that's a problem. Immediately, kind of, um, uh, God responds to Moshe, to Moshe, the Holy One responds to Moshe, Bishitato, as is as is his wont in his in his normal way, as is Shita. Natanlo otot lefi farav. He gave him um, signs, the miracles we're about to see, that accorded with his words. and look what it says right afterwards. Vayomer Adonai elav ma ze God said to 
Moshe, what is this in your hand? Bayomer mate, and he said mate. Kilomar, which is to say, mi zeh. See how it's pointed differently here? Mi zeh from that which is in your hands, ata tzarich l'kot. Rashi quotes it as chayav. The Midrash has tzarich, they're synonyms. You need, and I know it's, a, it's an active verb, it means passive, you need to be smitten, you are liable for lashes. Sha'ata motzi shemra al-banai. You are bringing out a evil name on my children. My children mean the Israelites. Not only are they believers, they are believers, children of believers. That, by the way, is a um, has entered the from lexicon. I can't even say it. Maminim b'nei maminim is like from speak for um, you know really kosher. You know, someone is you know renting out an apartment. They want to make sure that people who are going to live there, you know, are, are are, uh, are very from Jews who are going to observe kashrat, kashrut in that apartment, you might say they're maminim b'nei maminim. Boy, are they believers. They're believers who are children of believers. Shinemar, as it says later on, vaya'amein ha'am. We're going to see that very verb, that the people believe. And b'nei maminim, how are they children of maminim? That it said in Breshit, vehemin baronai, this is parshat lech lecha. So they are believers themselves. And they are descendants of believers because they're descendants of Abraham who was a believer. Ah, so in that moment, all right, so let me just pause here because I want to read the, one second. Um, does Rashi say that explicitly? No, let, let, we're going to go back to this Midrash once we re- start the Rashi on the next verse. But this is the, the Midrashic elongation of this, back, of this back and forth and using verses in the Torah to show and Rashi does not give us that explicitly to show that Moshe's response to God was a specific affront, given that God had already said they're going to believe, and that Moshe should know that they are maminim and that they come from people who will believe in God, because Moshe should have known that verse about Abraham. That's the Midrash's treatment of it. Uh, Barry? Uh, I, I don't see where God told Moshe they'll listen to his voice. I saw previously, who am I to bring them out of Egypt? God said, uh, uh, I will be with you. But there's no phrase in here. God said, they will listen to your voice. Just only I, God, will be with you. Look, look at verse 18. 318. The motion, God's in the middle of saying, I'm going to be uh, Sorry, there it is. Okay, sorry. That's it's okay. It's okay. Um, uh, Sue and then Elon. Um, <clears throat> I I know you've said that we're looking at the this you know little coat, little coat. Is that how it's in there? Yes, little coat. And you know, <laughs> But but it seems like you know we do spend a lot of time unpacking ill verbs. I mean, it doesn't say. It feels a little bit. Like we're translating it in a, it, it, it seems like it says you're going to hit with that stick. I know. I, and I know you're telling me that it doesn't say that. However, it seems like we're self-serving some other narrative by saying, oh, no, that's what it really means, that you're going to get hit. Um, because it, we've seen, Nif, you know, that things are going to happen passively. It's like, why isn't it that language? It feels um, like we're manipulating that um that translation. Okay, so that's a really fair question, and I and I love how you know astute it is to the grammatic grammatic specificity. So I can say with certainty that in rabbinic language, a tachayavil coat does indeed mean you are obligated to be to be to be um, lashed. Why it means that I don't know, but it certainly does mean that. And Rashi here is borrowing Talmudic halachic language to insert it into this agadic narrative drash. On the edges, I can say, you could certainly do a drash and a drash and say, yeah, it looks, it, it means that you are now obligated to lashes because, um, because you cast aspersions on the Israelites. But since the word looks like it says you are, you are going to be obligated to, you know, to, to use it to smite, that it might also be, you know, is, is this jumping us ahead to when he, you know, strikes the rock instead of speaks to it? Um, is this suggesting that with this rod, just as you've shown yourself to not be so, you know, 
such a faithful service in this servant in this moment? Is is this rod also being the thing with which you uh, abuse your power later on? That could certainly be there on the edge, but it's certainly the case that it's a it's just a rare, um, you know, rabbinic vernacular that the verb atachayav lilkot or the phrase should be understood as you are obligated parentheses that someone else come and smite you. Right? You're obligated to that punishment. Um, but I, I think you could play around with the edges of it. Listen, the, the Rashi is, itself is playing on the fact that the word looks like it's mize, even though it's maze. So you could say on Rashi um, that it looks like it's a tachayav code, You're going to be obligated to actually do the smiting, and maybe we should we should dance in that in in that little circle for, for a little bit. Uh, Elon. So two things. One, it's uh, it seems interesting that there are times where God disparages uh, the children of Israel, and, and God is perfectly comfortable with that. But when somebody else, it's it's kind of like you know, in your family, if um, you can say bad things about your family, but if someone else says something bad about them, you become very defensive. The other thing is that it's it seems to me that 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 God isn't actually correct here and that ultimately Moses is somewhat correct in that these people are not as holy and as good as God is making these people out to be. And in fact, um, there are some among them who are troublesome and who actually don't believe. So glad you brought that up because there's a triple move here, right? God said, they will listen to you. Shot. Moshe says, what if they don't believe me? Shot. Midrash says, Moshe, you're being disrespectful to the kosher ones, and therefore that the Maza and Miza suggest that you're not liable. Midrash. But going back to Pshat, Moshe's actually correct. Right? The people he's going to bring out from, e- from Egypt don't all have unwavering belief in him. They don't accept his prophecy from the, from the very beginning. And as I forgot who brought it up before, if it was Tova or Joanna, right? Moshe's last encounter in Egypt was that... Um, they cast aspersions on him when he was doing the right thing in, 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 uh, or, or sp- sp- spreading rumors about him. So the thing for which Moshe is being held responsible for in this Midrashic read, it's not there in the Pshat, is something that is rather defensible. Moshe has reason to believe that they will not, be, they will not believe, despite the Midrash cobbling together this idea that they are ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. It's a really very delicate encounter as the Holy One identifies this man to be the savior. And remember that on some level, from this scene forward until the last verse of the Torah, it's all Moshe, right? There are very few scenes, aside from just the laws, right? There are very few scenes between now and when the end of the Torah where Moshe is not central, right? And even the ones where it looks like he's not central, like, you know, Eldad and Medad prophesying, like in Baalotcha last week, Eventually, it's brought to Moshe for his, for his, um, for his input. So, for a book of the Torah and 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 a couple of chapters, it's been God and 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 the and, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that family, and it's all setting up a clan that's going to be in Egypt. And from this point forward, it is Moshe. And so, this is the scene where Moshe becomes Moshe, as it were. I see someone is ch- is uh, chatting about the Yankees. Oh, Joel, that's that's very that's very good and bad at the same time. Well done. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, I just want everyone to uh, enjoy the um, the Cape Cod um, Bay breeze when um, Elon unmutes, because I think that's what he's looking out at uh, as he's taking this class, and I, I can I can smell the salty air uh, as the breeze goes by your microphone, Elon. Okay, um, Elon, you're still up because now Rashi. Um, does what he often does, which is he gives you a midrashic read of the text and then says, oh, but if you don't want to go midrash, I'll tell you what I actually think it means in Pshat. So the next word of the Rashi is upshuto. Upshuto ka'adam she'omer nechavero moda'ata shezo shlefanecha even he. And the simple meaning is that a man says to his friend, um, do you agree that what you see, that what is before you is a rock. Amar lo heim, the response is uh, yes. Amar lo hareni ose ota eitz. 
Um, but I am, uh, but I am going to turn it into wood. Right. So, and we got, we kind of went there before, before we started reading the Rashi, that the simple re- way of reading uh, this verse is someone used the word magician before and magician, not just in terms of performing things against, um, against nature, but magician in the, even the modern sense of the word of a showman, right? Someone who's setting up a scene. You see that thing in your hand? You, you, what card is that? Are you holding the nine of clubs? Ah, well, turn it over and it's actually the eight of clubs, right? We agree that you're holding the nine of clubs. So Rashi now wants to say, if you don't want to read it, maze mize, now we have to answer the question. I think maybe it was Joel's question. Why, why would God need, need to even ask the question? Doesn't God know already? The answer is he's, he's setting up a scene, right? You see that thing in your hand? Now I'm going to tell you what you're going to do with it and what you're going to do with it now and what you're going to do with it in the future as well. Okay, good. Anyone want to comment on that, uh, on that second Rashi? And I, I would love to know what's happening on the FFBs and FFBSs um, in the chat. And if it's shtick, it's really great shtick, but I'm also <laughs> confused by it. Uh, Rebecca? Um, I just wanted to say that, and, and this might have been said before I actually joined the class this morning because I was late, but um, there's also just, it might just be some kind of poetic um, sort of uh, freedom of, of writing Maza like in the exact same format as Mate. It has the exact same Nikud um, here, and uh, so it might just be something, you know, no deeper than that. Um, in terms of, of why it's written as one word, not two. Um, Good, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say, and I don't really think that it's relevant, but it just um, came up to, in my mind, is that maze um, looks like a form of, um, of the root hey, zayin hey, like hazui or hazaya. And uh, knowing that the, the staff is going to turn into a snake... Which is a some which could be interpreted as a hallucination. I just thought maybe, but I don't even know if that word is um, is that ancient in its you know that root in terms of uh, its understanding of hallucination. These letters and words are endlessly evocative, and what Rebecca's playing with is that um, hey Zion hey is, is to be shocked. I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll raise you one and say that in in, in, in Torah Hebrew, lahazot is less to be shocked, but to sprinkle. And Aaron is going to be doing mazet all the time with a rod of the blood in the sacrifices, right? The hizah edam hachatat or something like that. So um, the, the, the word almost certainly means what is this, but it's evocative of other things that are going to be done, particularly with, with, with a rod or with a staff. Um, and I like what you pointed out that that if if we read it as one word that's maze and then two words later mate same same vowels in fact the zayin and the the top the tet are just two letters apart so and that could just be like a scribal thing right it could be in, you know twenty seven hundred years ago a scribe was writing on papyrus right and 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 is having a you know an off moment and it thinks he's at the end of the word and is writing mate but then he's at the end of the sentence but he's actually Earlier on in the sentence, he writes maze, but he's impacted by the fact that it's mate, so he writes it as one word. Who knows? That actually could be how some of this um, gets written down. Um, now I understand what the FFBs are, from from birth. And it reminds me, when I was in yeshiva for a semester in college, we categorized the, the, the guys in our yeshiva into four categories. There were FFBs, from from birth. There were um, SBTs, sane balei tshuva, right? The ones who, who became balei tshuva, they were sane. They were IBTs insane balei tshuva and then us we were the normal ones um but the, the ffbs are the ones who were dati from from their from their childhood okay um let's move forward to the next verse and then we'll go back to that midrash because rashi um rashi ends up quoting or in in his commentary on this verse which see how far we get he's also drawing from the same midrash that he drew in the previous verse so um, let's see. Yeah. Sue, do you want to read the next verse? Yes, indeed. 
ויאמר, ויאמר, השליחהו ארצה, וישליחהו ארצה, וישליחהו ארצה, ויהי לנחש, וינס משה מפניו, אוקיי? And he said, and God, and God said, right? And he said, um, throw that thing on the ground. Mm-hmm. And he threw it on the ground. And it'll become a snake. Uh, not that it will be, because it's vavayipuch. It became, a, it was, and it became a snake. Correct. And Moshe ran from it. Good. Scared. Good. Witless. So, so um, a lot of things in this verse, right? Yes. Um, if we start at the end, the mipanav is ambiguous. Did Moshe run from the, it, from the, him meaning the snake? Did Moshe God. run from God, right? Why is he running? Why is he running in this moment? Um, and panav is, panav is God usually, right? Right? Well, be... y- yes, and, right? So, so... It also could just mean from before it, but oh. it, it stems from this notion of... Uh, correct. Um, anything... Oh, I wanted to just point out one Aramaic word because like, I sometimes like giving you Aramaic uh, vocabulary. If you look at the uncleus, he said to him, Remi, throw it. It doesn't really have... Um, um, a, a similar use of this in Hebrew, resh mem yud is an Aramaic word, but it's a very important verb in the Talmud because when rabbis are arguing with each other and throwing verses at each other to make a point, it's called a uriminhu. And, and he threw at him Leviticus chapter 23, verse 14, and he threw back uriminhu. So that verb is to, to cast or to throw is a, is a very common technical term in the Talmud. Here's just a translation of to cast or to throw. Um, and let's see, Joel, you have a question or comment? Well, I mean, this could just be God saying, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to prove that uh, this is how I'm going to let you prove that you've actually seen me, but it could also be a lesson saying, well, you see this, this rod, um, it, in my hands, it can change just like, you see that you're you're a schlub, you know, in your own eyes. In my in in, in my hands, you you can become something that people are going to fear. That's really wonderful. Uh, the transformation of the rod to the snake is is actually not just magic, but a direct response to Moshe thinking himself as a lowly rod. Wonderful, Joel. Anyone else? Anything that the verse uh, bring brings up before we look at some of the commentaries? Well, I, I, I like that word hashlichehu, but I don't know why. I mean, I think it's kind of an, an uh, it seems like a lot of, there could be a lot of words in there, but um, it, it has it has sort of a pattern, a rhythm to it. <laughs> yep, it, 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 uh, it, sounds, it, it sounds good, right? It, 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 well, it's hashlichehu, it's sort of a, you know, like, and and this is happening really fast, and it's sort of undulating, and then there's a snake on the ground that's undulating, and the whole thing is like a, this thing is happening, and and suddenly Moshe, it's kind of spinny. Yeah, it does happen quick. I mean, this is biblical Hebrew's terseness. Like try saying that in so few English words. He said to him, "Cast, you know, uh, turn it onto the ground." He sent it to the ground, and all of a sudden it's a snake. Like a lot, that's a lot happened, in in, in six words. Good. Um, I want to, since not all of you have the um, Eitz Chaim, the Torah Chaim Chumash, I want to read Sforno's commentary on this verse. And let me see, I'm, let me see if I can find it in Safaria. Yeah. Um, hold on. I'm going to share the screen. Um, let me see if I can find it. I want to show you the Hebrew too. Okay. So this is Sforno, 15th, 16th century Italy, on the question of um, why he ran, right? Why, did, why does Moshe flee? 
I mean, I would also run away from a snake. But why is it significant to know that? Vayanas Moshe mipanav. Moshe fled from it, and Sforno is reading it as the snake. Ki omnam hayaaz nachash gamur perodef. Because, indeed, that really had become a true, full, pursuing snake, right? This was not like a rod that looked like a snake. This was not like a fake snake. This was not a dead snake. It really was a snake. Aval But the snakes of the Egyptian magicians that we're going to meet in a few scenes. That uh, they had done with their own staffs. They did not move and slither. Um, even though they looked like snakes. So Sforno is basically saying, how come, he doesn't say it explicitly, how come in a few scenes from now, Moshe is going to be in the presence of people who turn rods into snakes? He doesn't run away from them, right? He just kind of stands his ground and goes on to the next show of, of magic. But here, why does he run away? And his answer is because this was really a snake, right? What the Egyptians are going to do is they're going to somehow find a way to make their stiff rods look serpentine. But this was not an actual, uh, you know, Voldemort snake. This becomes a snake and he runs away. Okay. Um, anything else on the verse itself before we look at Rashi? Okay. Uh, yes, Tova. Actually, I'm sorry on the uh, previous verse, but I wanted to just bring it up uh, quickly uh, on the uh, notion of mise um, indicating that you're going to be punished by this by the by this rod because of your doubt is Rashi also thinking about that in the end Moshe is going to use that rod to strike the rock and it's that action that's going to deny him entering the land yeah so what I've always wondered on this Rashi is usually when Rashi connects us from this scene to a future scene as if it's a premonition, the future scene is very specific. And this is not, right? In fact, it's yeah. hard to think of the scene where Moshe is being the one who is smitten by the staff, right? It, mm-hmm. there's, there's no aha there. So it does leave you wonder, is, is Rashi just saying in general, God is saying to Moshe, I'm warning you, you keep up, you keep doing that. And you're going to be chayav lil coat. You're going to be obligated to to um, to stre- to being uh, hit, or is it something that um, that you're suggesting that that mm-hmm. th- that this rod, which I'm showing you now, is going to be the source of your power? You're but also it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a a, um, uh, a downfall for you, yeah. not directly, not that you're gonna be hit by it, but you're gonna be you're right. gonna become liable again for using it the wrong way. It's possible. I don't. I, I don't know. And I wonder if the, if the super commentaries on Rashi um, go there. Um, uh, what did someone say in the chat? Say that. Say more of that, Barbara Breger. I'm not looking at that. What does it say? Oh, are you you're, you're responding to the the snakes in Egyptian mythology question? Yeah, and there's a dis- discussion of how snakes are important in Egyptian mythology in the footnote. Got Just it. A moment. I'd like to hear that. Joel, okay. um, you're on a roll, Joel. The, the, the rod in ancient Egypt was a symbol of royal authority and power, and the snake represented the patron cobra goddess of lower Egypt in the north. Worn over the forehead on the headdress of the pharaohs, the snake symbolized divinely protected sovereignty and served as a menacing emblem of death dealt to enemies of the crown. Hmm. Fascinating. Thank you for that. Uh, Joanna and then Renee. I'm wondering here about the interplay between the word mate as it's used here to mean staff and the meaning that it will also come to have soon enough that mate is a tribe. Mm -hmm. So, and this interplay, if there's some kind of like pedagogic lesson going on here, you know, you're worried about the people not believing you. Here's the, you know, here's, you know, the mate is going to believe you, hmm. and it's and it's and it's in your hand. Mate is in your hand. Yeah, I. It's got to be the same root. I don't know how. I don't know how that word meant both things, and I didn't. I didn't look that one up recently. Why mate means staff and I, think, I, I don't. I don't know if this is like a hundred percent You know, according to etymology, true. But I think I read something once because 
the the chiefs of the tribes would carry like a staff would carry like the Dagala staff of their flock. So like 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 a banner. A banner. A banner, a banner um, to to show that this is what the, who this tribe is possible. Um, after our class, I'm going to look it up in the in the BDB and see what he has to say about that word. Um, Renee. I'm just wondering about the snake. I mean, he could have turned the rod into a lizard or a camel. You know, why duck a snake? And I'm thinking that snakes are kind of, I mean, slithery and surprising, much in the way that God is. You know, they can, he can surprise, you know, kind of jump up on you in the same way as the snake. So that's the very next thing that Rashi goes to. So, so thank you for setting that up. Sue, can you please unmute and the, let's, let's at least start this Rashi. Um, because it, it goes directly to Renee's question. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, I could if I can find it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, I lost myself. Oh, it becomes... I got lost. I got lost. It, it's The Rashi starts with with what? The Rashi starts with the word... Well, it's, it's, it's the first Rashi, the only yeah. Rashi, on verse 3. Correct. Okay. That's what I thought. I just thought it was in the middle. Vaihila Nachash. Ramazlo She Siper Lashon Hara Al Yisrael Vetafas Omnuto Shel Nachash. And it became a serpent. And it's a, a clue. It's it's a clue that um, it, it's a clue that he was talking in the language of evil of 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 evil. He was speaking evil of mm-hmm. of, of Israel. Uh, and he um, and he what? It's not tafas litfos. And he and he caught. Is it tafas like that? And he caught. And he used art. And he used the art of a snake. That's exactly the right way of saying it. He used the art of a snake, right? Tafas, he grasped hold of, he impersonated, he, he imitated, emulated what a snake does. And what does a snake do? And what does a snake do in the biblical mind? It's, uh, you know, like uh, from the Gan Eden. It's a very sneaky, evil representative of Satan on earth. Right. And the specific way in which the rabbinic... Um, imagination understands what the Nachash did wrong in the Garden of Eden was that he twisted truth to make the to make someone look worse than they actually are. Right? Twisted God's words to make to try to convince Adam and Eve that God was more twisty than God actually is. That's what a snake does. A snake, the snake's very shape is is what is what the snake does with truth. Right? Um, and and what and what snake does to people's impressions of others. So, so so the Rashi quoting the Midrash, which we're about to read, uh, that's that's Rashi's answer to your question, Renee. And you gave a different answer, which is great too. But Rashi's answer was, why a snake? A, a snake is is the um, paradigm of, the of truth. Yeah, a, a, a twister of truth and therefore casting aspersions on, on someone who is actually not worthy of those aspersions. Barbara? Well, I think it also has to do with what I just read to you from what S. Tayyam. Uh, the, the snake, <coughs> excuse me, is the symbol of the king. And it's saying that God is the king. God can make the, the snake come out of a stick. And, and that could scare Pharaoh to think that there could be a king that's as strong as he is. Because uh-huh. Pharaoh thinks that he's a god king. Good. Good. Larry Diane? So I'm back to my my issue. Um, and not about the snake, but about the about the <clears throat> the miracles or the magic or whatever. So first of all, Tova sent something in private to me that supports my view, which is in chapter three, it's Elohist. God is referred to in large, to a large extent as Elohim, and only when we want God's name do we get Hashem, Yudhevavhe, Tetragrammaton. This chapter is all Hashem, Yudhevavhe. So, and in the previous chapter, <clears throat> when God, when, when God is trying to, to tell Moses what to, to tell the people so they'll believe him, he said, just tell them my name. They know me. 
They know me. They're believers. Don't worry. They're believers. They know me from me from your ancestors. Now we have a completely different story. And, and it's actually God, not Moses, who's questioning the people and telling him, well, show them these miracles. Why didn't you say again, tell them my name? It's because it's written from, it's a different, it's a different story. It's a different story, which is, as you said, is, is, is basically sti- stitched together. Now I don't, don't deny any of the, uh, <clears throat> object any explanation about the snake and the, and the rod, but it clearly comes from, for me at least, it comes from a different source. And I think that it's a source that, that thought that, uh, whatever, the people wouldn't remember their history. Whereas in chapter three, the assumption is the people did remember their history. Rich possibilities. I, I, I have nothing to improve on that. Um, but rich possibilities about different, different Israelite memories of their own story and their, and their ancestors encounter with God. Right. And, and, and all that is opened up once you are willing to look at this through that documentary hypothesis, um, which of course to some is considered heresy and can some, some are considered actually the foundation of a significant understanding of the text. Um, let, let me borrow, um, let me borrow one more um, minute. So I want to show you this, uh, how, the, how the Midrash itself reads this. Hold on a second. Uh, I closed on my computer. Now it's open. Okay. So I'm going to share the screen again. So we got halfway through this Rashi, the, the Midrash last time, and then uh, the Midrash shifted gears and becomes the text that Rashi is now quoting from in this part of his commentary. So we got to the Maminim B'nei Maminim. Okay. Vehemin uh, Bashem. Okay, so that was, that, that was the quote from Brishit. Now we have Tafas, that was that root that you were playing with, um, Sue. Tafas Moshe Ma'aseh Hanachash. That Moshe kind of grabbed hold of or impersonated the ways of the snake. Rashi turns it ends to umanuto, the craft of the snake. Here's the ways. Shehotzi lashon hara al boro. For the snake, what did the snake first do? Did to God what Moshe is being accused of doing to the Israelites, bringing out a lashon hara, evil speech, on his creator, who is the snake's creator, God. Shinamar, for it says, ki yodea Elohim. Um, when, when, um, when the snake says to the uh, to Adam to, to, to Eve that God knows that once you eat from this tree of life you're going to be like gods that's what that verse is and that is not what God had said just and this is how this is why it appears in the same midrash in, in this te- in this text that just Moshe like the snake was ultimately punished for that calumny. So, Moshe, will you? You're going to have to pay the price for having cast aspersions upon the Israelites. Look what it says. He said to him, cast down, cast it onto the ground. And he cast it down and he became a snake. Because Moshe had done like the things that a snake does. He showed him the snake, right? So the according to the Midrash, it wasn't the miracle. The power of that moment was not the miracle of turning the rod into the snake. Although I loved some of the other commentaries that you, sh- you shared before that this is showing that Moshe can be transformed as well. It was really just showing it was, it was done just to show Moshe what he's already become. Moshe becoming snake-like. Kalamar to say, Asita you have become the snake. So in Breshit, the snake is the arch enemy. In this scene, which several of you have said, Barry and others, Moshe doesn't necessarily deserve this in the shot. You, Moshe, are on the verge of becoming a this. You see this in your hand, your staff? You're becoming what I'm turning it into. So there are many possible layers to um, uh, to why the snake is used in the scene. And obviously, it it um, it pre-envisions this, the scene that's going to happen in Egypt. And it plays with this relationship between Moshe and God and how they're learning about each other and, and and taking in each other in this critical scene that sets up everything else we're about to read over the next you know, lifetime. Because it's going to take us Excuse away. me, not, not to make puns, but God doesn't give much wiggle room to Moshe. 
Yes, not to make puns, but to make a pun. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.